Tanner, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hey all. Scripture reading tonight is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed until those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven and will cry out cry of a command with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead will, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encouraging one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. So tonight we're going to be talking about some heavy stuff, um, just to get it out there at the very beginning. Um, I want to be able to speak with a great deal of sensitivity and care. And I know that the things that we're going to be talking about for some of you will be a lot more fresh and a lot more real and a lot more difficult to bear than some others here in the room. And I, I want you to know that regardless of what season you're in, whether this is a word that is directly applicable to you right now where you're at, or if this is something that the Lord wants to entrust to you for you to revisit at a later time, because the thing about this word is it's going to be relevant for every single one of us. I could go back through and try to give you all of the instances that I had kind of in growing up and following the Lord, the instances that I had interacting with death. I can go through and like with the consequent grief, think about when I was in middle school and one of the guys on the baseball team died intertubing down the river. I can go through, I can think about other guys that were, uh, four students that were in a car right over on 459 here in Birmingham. All four of them killed instantly. I can go through and think my childhood best friend, his dad was my baseball coach and confidant. He was, Mr. Audie was an incredible man of the Lord. Died of brain cancer when we were in high school, right before Joshua was going to graduate. I can go through I can think more personally of those in my life that have been deeply affected, but I can still remember not long ago looking at my grandfather with an open casket at the front of his small church house up in northeast Alabama and feeling maybe where previously had been secondhand grief, that there were those that were more proximate, that were closer to the situation, that were feeling it in a more heavy and significant way, but that that settled right here in the middle of my chest, and it seemed like a weight that I couldn't roll off when I changed positions. There's something in those moments where you feel that something is not right, that, that something is, is tragically wrong with this, with everything that's going on in those moments, the, the seeming finality and permanence of death we start to ask questions about like, what is going on? Is this normal? And the thing about it is, it is not normal. 
Death is an invader into the created order that was brought about because of sin. And death will not be a permanent fixture in the created order because God is coming back to make all things new. Death's days are numbered, thanks be to God, but we're still here in the in-between and we are wrestling with, what does this mean? Is this normal? We're not the first people to ask those questions. The church at Thessalonica, the church that, from the passage that Austin read, 1 Thessalonians, that's the letter written to the church at Thessalonica. Paul, as he's going and writing this, there is the first letter that he wrote. As he's going through, they, are, they had in their mind that Jesus, he had resurrected and ascended, and he's going to be coming back really soon. But people in their church, brothers and sisters that they knew in the Lord, they started dying And Jesus had not come back yet. And so they're going through and they have these questions. Is this normal? What's going on? Paul, help us out here. Help a brother out. How do I begin to even process what is happening here in our midst? And that's where we come in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll pick up in verse 13. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. This is the banner flying over the rest of this glorious and mysterious paragraph. That Paul right here, he first says that he doesn't want them to be uninformed, namely about those who have fallen asleep. Okay, I want you to have a certain knowledge that I think will be helpful to you as you begin to go through this process of grief. So there are certain things that you can know. There are truths that you can hold on to that will help you to be able to make more sense of your reality and that will help to buttress, to support, to hold you up in those times of trial when they come. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism. That's a word picture for those who have died, okay? We see this used other places in Scripture. We see it in the book of Matthew 27, that the tombs were also open. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, right? Or we see it in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is stoned, the first martyr of the Christian faith, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, Paul, he wants to encourage the living Thessalonian believers about those who were in Christ but who have died. And he wants them to understand something for a specific purpose. I don't want you to be uninformed. So that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. What can we see from this first portion of the paragraph? The first thing that you can see is okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve. It is Natural to grieve in the face of loss, it is appropriate and even necessary to grieve. That sometimes we can think, I think from a well-intended but misguided place in following Jesus, that when you feel that sadness, when you feel that loss, when you feel that grief, that you're just supposed to suck it up. You're supposed to not show it. You're supposed to just stuff it way deep down inside somewhere where you're never going to find it and just ignore it. I think it's well intended, but it's misguided. Because you see, our Savior even grieved. I really appreciate the way Avery drew our attention in College Life Group this past week 
to the story of Jesus and Lazarus, right, with Mary and Martha that are there, that Jesus, he knows full well the resurrection that's going to be coming for Lazarus. He knows full well the pointer that this is going to be towards his own and even greater resurrection, right? But still there in front of the tomb with the weeping and wailing family, Jesus in the shortest verse in the Bible. But don't let it shorten us. Mistake, like, don't, don't mistake it for insignificance. It says that Jesus wept. That Jesus grieved. It is okay to grieve and to allow it to run its course. It is a journey that must be walked down. It's not something that can be bypassed or shortcut or blitzed through. But it is something that we can walk through together. We should grieve, but we should grieve in a different way from the world around us. Because he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. Y'all, to grieve without hope, that is to be in the pit of despair. That is to be swallowed up by sorrow without being able to see any sort of light completely submerged in darkness. But I'm here to tell you that if you are in Christ and if you have hope beyond this life, then you can grieve, but that grief does not have to consume you. That you can grieve, but you can know that this world is not all that there is. And that the present darkness that we feel and the pain that we're experiencing will someday be a distant memory of a bygone age where we will be with Christ who has far eclipsed all that suffering and pain and death. That grief will be gone. And so right now, we can anticipate great joy after these troubles. Jesus says this in the upper room. He says this in John chapter 16, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. And he's talking about in the wake of his crucifixion. But it can be extended on into this human experience that we have. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. That there is this redemptive quality that Christ is able to even touch the sorrow, even touch the grief, and turn it into joy and hope in time. In time. Or Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 says in verse 10 that we are as sorrowful, yet we are always Rejoicing, It is okay to be sorrowful, to lament, to grieve at loss at your own or at those close to you. Because those times will never be coming. When those times of loss come, grieve, but grieve with hope. I want you to hear this encouragement not to ignore the grief or the pain or the loneliness that you will feel in those moments. Don't ignore it. Don't try to dull it. That there will be a lot of times that you will probably try to numb yourself to the pain and you will do, through, do so through unhealthy coping mechanisms 
or you will try to entertain yourself out of it. You will try to redirect your attention. You will try to pursue pleasure in other ways that would not be honoring to the Lord to try to eclipse the pain. Or that you could go through and you could try to numb it through some other foreign substance so that you don't have to feel anymore. The grief will still be there and its power will be compounded when it comes back. You do not have to go through this alone and you do not have to go through this in your own devices. But you can go through this with the Lord. So when everything that you see reminds you of the love that, of the loved one that you lost, grieve, but grieve with hope. When your mind thinks back on all that you did with the loved one and then all that you didn't get to do with them, grieve, but grieve with hope. And when that same grief feels like an anvil that is just dropped squarely on your sternum and that it won't go, grieve, but grieve with hope. As you are going through, anticipate joy that the, despite the current state of affairs, we look ahead at the joy that will be ours, the joy that is already ours. And I'll tell you this, one of the greatest ways that you can do that is to sing in your sorrow. Um, I'm, I'm going to be telling a couple of stories from my, my homeland up on Sand Mountain tonight. Um, I don't know if any of y'all uh, know of Sand Mountain, um, northeast corner of Alabama. And so I'm, I'm, I'm from the sticks, y'all. And going th- sometimes it comes out a little bit. I get very passionate up here. But going through, they're up small church house. It's the same one that my grandparents had been in for decades. The one that I told you earlier that my grandfather's funeral was in. It's about 10 years, 12 years ago now. There was a, a young guy in the congregation. His name was Anthony. You know, it's a small congregation. And so anytime that there are young people, it's like, whoo, yes, you know, the poster children of the church, you know, kind of thing. And Anthony grew up in the church, the Keller family, just in deep, y'all, just in deep in that local body. And he, Anthony ended up marrying another young girl from the church. And so they were the poster family, you know, of being able to go through. They had kids, poster children. You know, just really sweet times. They played in the worship band. They were doing, like, just leading the youth group. Their children were the kids' ministry. You know, I'm just kidding. But going through, right, that there are a lot of things that this family, they were just so well-loved. Well, then Anthony got a very aggressive and advanced stage of brain cancer and died. And he was laid to rest. And I was up there a couple of weeks after the funeral. And I saw his dad, Mr. Keller, get up there. And now the unique thing about that, that church is that there's no worship pastor. It's, uh, it's the kind of place where you go and everybody has, you have a red book and a green book right? You know what I'm talking about? And you just grab the book out of the pew rack in front of you and you waltz up to the front stage and you say, green book number 42 and the band strikes up. And then everybody starts singing. And so it's really kind of like choose your own adventure, you know, in a worship service. Uh, I don't know that that would work so well here in this context, but if you were to go through, we were up there on that Sunday and Mr. Keller, whose son had died, his adult son died two weeks previously, goes and picks up the red book, heads up to the front platform, and through tears, 
start singing about that heavenly home that lies over a death sea, that heavenly home that's waiting for me, then I will see you. And being able to see him sing through the sorrow, it bolstered my soul. It steeled my emotions. It helped me to know, it kind of shocked me out of the familiarity that I had been gaining with this world. And that there is something more, there is something else, that this world is not all there is. And if our hope is restricted to just what is going on here, then we are above all people the most to be pitied. But we can grieve and we, as you go through that journey, as you seek to move through grief, I encourage you to sing through sorrow. So we grieve, we grieve with hope, but what do we hope in? What is our hope? Paul goes on to tell us in verse 14. Follow along. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So rather than saying, what is our hope? And the better question is, who is our hope? Jesus is our hope. Because Jesus died and rose again, even so through him, God will bring those who have fallen asleep. I'm here to tell you, it's not just a Sunday school answer. It is what all of the cosmos hangs on. The most safe and secure location for your hope is in the person and work of Jesus. You can hope for a lot of things, but I will tell you this, everything else will disappoint you. Every other hope that you put your hope in is uncertain and fading and will ultimately let you down. Don't put your hope in me. Don't put your hope in Kara. Don't put your hope in Pastor David. Don't put your hope in your parents. Don't put your hope in a fiance or a future spouse. Why? Because we can all die. And death breaks promises. I was doing a wedding this past weekend and we're going through and we're looking at the vows and as I'm helping to give people words for them to be able to say as they covenant with one another before God and their families that I will love you until we are parted by death. That death is the promise breaker. That death is what releases those things. And the thing about it is, unless the Lord comes back first, all of you in this room will die someday. And if your hope is in any lesser thing that can be taken away, that can fade It's not a safe and a secure location. The only safe and secure location is in the one who died and defeated death, slaying it by the abundance of his life, never to die again. That is the only place that your hope can be firm and fixed and sure. And you in this season of life are gonna be tempted to be able to put your hope in so many other things. And yet you can hope for that job. Yeah, you can hope that things work out with that particular relationship. You can hope that there's reconciliation with your parents, right? But those are not our ultimate hope. We are not hanging our life on these things. The only place that is wise and good for us to put our hope is in Jesus. 
that we can be so united with him that what he accomplished, it is now as if we have accomplished. I love the way that Paul in Romans 6 puts it. He's talking about baptism and the union with Christ that comes there and what it pictures. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. It's one of the reasons if I can do just a little bit of an excursus, right? A lot of you this weekend are going to be at Easter, maybe at home. If you're going to be here, Ainsley, really looking forward to this Sunday, your baptism. It's going to be so sweet. But you're probably going to be seeing some baptisms, right? And if you're at a Baptist church, one of the reasons why we do baptism the way that we do it is partly in because of Romans chapter 6 right here, that we were buried with him by baptism into death so that when you are going, when you are plunged beneath the waters, it is as if you are going in the grave. You are identifying with Jesus in his death. And if you were to stay underneath the waters, what are you? Dead. But we are identifying not only with him in his death, but just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That we've experienced the first fruits of it here and now as we have been born again, and that we will experience fully and finally at the great resurrection of the dead. We who are in Christ can take great comfort that death is not the end. And I don't know if you've thought about this or if maybe I had not done a lot of contemplating on this growing up. And what I did, it was done through like Ask Jeeves because Google wasn't a thing yet, right? Okay, I know I'm old, Madeline, don't tell me. But going through, if you are thinking about what is coming, maybe you and the Southern Fried Christian South, or you've been to some bad funerals, right, with people who don't know their theology, and they just start saying anything that, oh, so-and-so got their angel wings today, or this, that, or the other, or that they're up there doing this. I mean, I don't know what. But going through what happens for, uh, what is our hope? When you die, you don't turn into an angel. You're not going to be an angel. You're not going to be floating around on a cloud forever with golden fleece diapers and a little harp, right? It's not all of us are reverted back to baby cherub states, you know, and everything like that. That there is not all of this. It's going to be, we have sometimes these pictures that it's just going to be like more like Asgard in Marvel or something like that. That what we're going to be doing, what I'm here to tell you is this that the hope of the Christian life is the resurrection of the dead. That you will not be a disembodied spirit that is free-floating at one with the universe. But the great hope is that we will have a bodily resurrection. That your body, as it is buried, we believe that one day that God will raise it up again. And as he is coming to remake the heavens and the earth, he is making the earth new. And that you, you want to talk about this? You want to look at this? If you want to study this more deeply, 1 Corinthians 15 is this. I love you guys writing that down. It is the place that you will want to go and look. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown is perishable is raised in perishable that we 
Now I have it. And it's one of the reasons why one of the most comforting things that I feel that I can say to people when I do funerals is this, that if your loved one died in the Lord, then they have not taken their last step here on this earth. They have not breathed their last breath here. But the next time, it will be when the presence and the power of sin is utterly removed from the created order. In Christ, who has said, I am making all things new, it will be in the past tense. And everything will be made right again. That this is our hope. This is why Paul has the audacity to say, grieve. But grieve as someone who has hope. That where a lot of people put death as the period at the end of their life, we as Christians see death as the comma of more of what is coming. That death is now just a servant ushering us into the presence of God. Because we truly believe that to be absent, where Scripture says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That if your loved one died in the Lord, then they are in heaven with God. Verse 15, For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul here is talking about Jesus coming back. He's talking about the return of the king. That's why, y'all, when we talk about what is a good summary of the gospel, of the good news, of what has been achieved on your behalf, it's why in church tradition that there's this really short, pithy saying, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Maybe you come from a tradition that said that all the time. Praise God. We would do well to retrieve it. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and one day Christ will come again. And this is what it's talking about. That his coming, that his presence. He is saying that those who are alive at the time of his return, when he manifests his presence here in the new heavens and the new earth, that they won't go before those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in the Lord. That those who died in Christ will rise first. That this is the resurrection of the dead that we were talking about that this is the hope of the Christian life. And how will this happen? The Lord will descend from heaven with what? With a cry of command, he's got all authority. With the voice of an archangel, he has got all power. And with the sound of the trumpet heralding this victory, this is an alarm that nobody's gonna be able to sleep through, okay? That going through right here, it will look very similar to the account that we read about earlier about Jesus's death and the bodies of the saints were being raised, there will be a bodily resurrection. We will be completely restored. We will be made whole. But he doesn't stop there. We see in verse 17, follow along. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. These verses are mysterious and they must be handled very carefully, okay? But they were written for the Thessalonian believers and for our comfort, okay? 
Paul says that those who are alive at Christ's coming will be called up together with them. That those who were in Christ who died but were not raised to meet the Lord in the air. Now, we might be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, but we do not stay there. Okay? When you look at this, every commentary, every book that I could get my hands on all drew our attention to this word, meet. This word to meet the Lord in the air. This word is often used of like that of a dignitary, of somebody that's very important, a VIP that's coming. And it's the reception by the inhabitants of a city who come out and greet and welcome their honored guest with fanfare and celebration and then accompany him into the city. It's kind of like Prince Ali. You know what I'm talking about in Aladdin? Right, where you're seeing that they're going out, that there's all this fanfare, celebration, meeting a dignitary, and then following them where? Into the city and then ultimately into the palace. We see it in better places in the word of God right here in Matthew 25 with the parable of the 10 virgins. At midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. But they don't stay out there. They go back into the wedding feast. We see also in Paul's life in Acts 28 when he's finally getting ready to be able to go on his way to Rome and he talks about how there were people that met him outside of the city and accompanied him the rest of the way into Rome. They came out to meet him and took him the rest of the way. This happens up on Sand Mountain. It happens for you guys as well, I assume. It's like when I get ready to turn down that gravel dirt road and when people start to come out on the front porch they drift out into the driveway and, you know, we all get out of the car and they're way more excited to see the grandkids than they are to see, or the great grands now, than they are to see me, the grandkids. And then there's so much celebration, there's so much hugs, there's so much affection that's going on that they have come out to meet. But the thing about it is we don't stay in the driveway. We get ready to go the rest of the way back into the house where we're about to eat real good. That this is the same idea that we who were called up to meet the Lord in the air, it's as if we are going up and we are getting ready to meet him as he is continuing his descent, coming and making all things new. It's the reason why you can see in the book of Revelation the picture of the new Jerusalem, a city descending and coming down. A city new and whole. When our, I want you to know this. When your loved one dies, if they are in Christ, they will once again walk on this earth when it's made new. And as you approach death, know that if you are in Christ, you will once again walk on this earth when it is new. What's an implication of this? You don't have to have a bucket list. You don't have to try to squeeze in all of the human experience Everything that you would want to accomplish, achieve, view, or see does not have to be done before you die. The underlying presupposition for something like that is if it doesn't get done in this life, it's not going to get done at all. But we who are in Christ have a hope that extends beyond the experience that we have before our first earthly death. And as we go now, the bottom line, the encouragement from the passage is this that we will be with those who have already died in Christ and we will be with Jesus. I want you to know if your grandparent died and they know Jesus, you will see them again. If your mother or father knew Jesus, it is going to be so painful here and now 
thinking about all of the things that you did not get to do with them. But you can trust and you can hope that because of Jesus, that you will one day see them again. And not only that, you both will be in the presence of your Savior. That this glorious union unfettered access to his presence, sweet and divine fellowship. It's not just going to be for a minute or two. It's not going to be for a weekend stay, but we will always be with the Lord. And then Paul concludes this with his second purpose about all of why he's writing this. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's easy enough. Easier to say than easier to do. I mean, these are encouraging words for us and for those who are in Christ. That when those times of grief come, and I would tell you this, not in just a doomsday kind of way, but those times of grief will come, but I would hope that you would be encouraged by these words. That when you or those in your life are discouraged by grief, in due time, come comfort them with these words. You don't want to immediately go and while they are at ground zero of grief and take this Bible verse and slap it on them like a Band-Aid. But in due time and with wisdom, we do want to be able to comfort each other with the very words of Christ. Not with platitudes or Hallmark cards or just get well balloons. But we want to give them something that is sure and firm that they can put their hope in. And we don't want to just give a Bible verse that we think is like a prescription that can take the edge off of whatever they're feeling at that moment, but we want them to be so anchored in truth and to know something that is more real, something that will outlast. It's going to take time. Grieving is a process. Give yourself permission to go through the process. And I would want you to be encouraged where you see progress through this. I have just a couple of things. It's not unique to me. Uh, Brad Hambrick, who is a professor up at Southeastern Seminary, who Kara has benefited greatly from in her counseling program there as she's getting certification. There are three things that you would want to be encouraged where you see progress in grief. The first one is this. It does not mean that you can or should forget, but it does mean that you're able to enjoy good memories. So when you're done with grieving or you've worked through grieving, it doesn't mean that the end goal is that you should forget everything that happened, but it does mean that you're able to enjoy the good memories that you did have. I think this is really important. I remember hearing years ago, Matt Chandler, if some of y'all are familiar with Matt Chandler, pastor out in Texas, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. The Lord healed him. But I remember he was bald from the chemo and from had the scar on his head from surgery and he was going through and he said, I've thought all the time about me not being able to walk my daughter down the aisle. I've thought about not being able to give their boyfriends grief and joke with them when they come over. But if I'm only ever always thinking about the things that I'm missing out on, it steals the joy from all of the things that the Lord did let me experience. I got to bring them home from the hospital. I got to see them take their first steps. I got to see and learn what their favorite foods were. 
We got to take that Disney trip. That if our mind only ever always goes to the things that we missed out on and not the things that God gifted us, that we miss out on that joy. So the end goal is not to forget, but to enjoy the good memories. Progress in grief does not mean that you no longer feel pain because of loss, but it does mean that you experience a lessening of the pain. That right now that pain might be more acute and more intense, but over time, it will diminish. It will be a dull ache, but you will not always feel what you are feeling right now. And lastly, progression in grief, it does not mean that you believe life is fair or understand why, but it does mean that you can accept the different aspects of your loss. Especially in those times that are tragic, where you are just so wanting to be able to know the meaning or you're wanting to adjudicate the fairness of the situation, you're not going to be able to do that. But progression in grief does mean that you can accept the different, the different aspects of your loss. This can only come, you can only have this kind of grief, this grief that is so run through with hope only because of the gospel only because of the work of Jesus. That the one that we love and that we serve, he has defeated death and will one day do away with it finally. That Christ, he took our punishment, he died our death, rose in victorious life so that we can sing, death, oh death, where is your victory? Oh hell, where is your sting? It will be natural to be filled with longing over everything that you were not able to do or experience with your loved one. But in those moments... Remember and treasure all that you were able to experience. There will be more joy that comes when everything sad becomes untrue and we look forward to that great day. We hope for that great day. That we know there is life in Him. Life with Him and the saints forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Please, when those times come, feel the permission, feel the freedom to grieve, but do so as those who have hope. Good and gracious Father, we pray that you would be with us who are here and who are feeling or have felt or will feel the tremendous grief of loss. I pray that we would not try to diminish, hide, or dull those feelings, but God, that they would be a driver to you and that when we come, we would find that you are kind, that you are gentle, that you are merciful, that you are near and compassionate. Would we know your heart, your heart, oh God. Be our help. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.